welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. So a lot of people will argue about what the best era of Saturday Night Live was. Uh, it depends on sort of, it's a lot of times a generation break. If you are uh, sort of a, a baby boomer, you will point to uh, Gilda Radner and the brothers, the, um, the Blues Brothers, and the early days of Saturday Night Live and say, that, that's the best Saturday Night Live. You would be wrong. If you are, if you are somebody from the millennial generation, you may look at the era of Tina Fey and Will Ferrell and say, that, that was the best SNL there ever was. You, you would have an argument, but you would also be incorrect. It is an indisputable fact that the greatest era of Saturday Night Live was the early 90s with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey and so many other great people, Chris Rock, Phil Hartman. I could go on for a while. It was absolutely the pinnacle of SNL. And one of the skits from that era uh, that is embedded in our mind, you think I'm going with Church Lady, uh, though that's from the right era, that's not where I'm going. I'm going with Linda Richmond who hosted a call-in show called Coffee Talk. You call, we talk, no big whoop. Uh, This skit was where Mike Myers uh, portrayed a sort of heavily New York-accented, speaking in Yiddish every now and then woman who was obsessed with Barbara Streisand and her hair and everything looking just right. Well, she had, uh, in the show, she had this thing that would happen. She would get uh, upset by something, and she would say that she was verklempt, and she would need a minute, and so she would give everybody a topic of conversation, and it always, whenever she would do this, it always followed the same formula. Discuss this. It's neither this, nor that, nor that. Discuss amongst yourselves. So one of the ones was, you know, uh, Spanish Roman, uh, Spanish Romanesque architecture. Neither Spanish nor Roman. Discuss amongst yourselves. The most popular and memorable of these uh, was when she was upset um, about something that had happened in New York City. She said, uh, the Holy Roman Empire. Neither holy, nor Roman, nor an empire. Discuss amongst yourselves. And what made me think of this is we come to the phrase in the Apostles' Creed this week when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We say that every week, and yet City Church is neither holy nor Roman Catholic. Discuss amongst yourselves. Why is it that we say each week that we believe that the church is holy and Catholic. For many people, when the first time they hear this, it gives them pause. It's that, wait a minute, uh, I've been to a Catholic church, y'all don't look like a Catholic church, why do you say that? Are you like quietly Catholic? Are you like low-key Catholic? What's going on? Why do we say that? And so what I want to start out by doing is going through and talking about what exactly the church is when we think about it in historic terms. Uh, Sometimes we don't say the Apostles' Creed. Sometimes we say the sort of expanded version, the Nicene Creed. And there we find that the church is called four things. It's called uh, that it's the one holy 
Catholic, and Apostolic Church. So what do we mean when we say those four things? The Church is one, the Church is holy, the Church is Catholic, and the Church is Apostolic. Well, first of all, when we say that the Church is one, we mean that the Church is united. This is what I talk about every week when I talk about the Apostles' Creed. That the Church around the world, regardless of denomination, the Church that confesses Jesus Christ is Lord, is one Church. So while we may partition ourselves off, we may sort of break off into our own little pieces, ultimately, the church is one. So when we get to heaven, we will worship with people from all sorts of denominations, all sorts of cultures, and every language. We're not going to be the only ones being there. There's, There's an old joke, and you can sort of insert whatever denomination you want, about... You know, St. Peter was given so-and-so a tour through heaven, and he said, you know, who's that? Oh, that's so-and-so, who's that? And he said, okay, in this part of the tour, I need you to be quiet. And then you insert the denomination, I'll I'll say us, right? You've got to be quiet when we're going past this room. Why? Well, that's the Presbyterians, and they think they're the only ones here. Right? That's just not the case, right? The church is one, and it is bigger uh, than just one denomination. Uh, Not only that, but it's holy. Now, this is the one we sort of look at, and we sort of go, uh, I know some of the people in your church, and I would not particularly describe your church as holy, right? In fact, um, when somebody came in late, they were kind of hanging out this morning, I said, what are you standing out there for? Come in here with all the sinners, right? So why is the church holy? The church is holy because it's the place of the presence of God. God's presence is is in any local church that lifts up his name. Uh, it's, it's holy in the sense that the Holy Land is holy. That's right. That's the God, place of God's particular presence. Uh, and then we say that it's Catholic. And this is the word that trips up so many people. Uh, because when we say that it's Catholic, we don't mean that it's Roman Catholic. We don't mean that it's a part of the Pope's crowd. Right? Unfortunately, one of the sort of things in church history that happened is... Um, There used to be one church, and then it got split up into all these different pieces, and one of those churches decided to say, we're the Catholic church. We have the corner on the market. And all the rest of us had to say, uh, uh, uh-uh. And so the Roman Catholic church has sort of co-opted the word Catholic. But what the the word Catholic uh, means is something like universal. In fact, when we just said this, In Spanish, you you could see that universal was pronounced a good bit differently, but you could look up there and go, I know that word, right? And that's the word that they have in the creed for Catholic. And one of the things that this means is that the church is a sum of all of its parts around the world. The church is not just united, but every part of the church is needed to be a full expression of what God means it to be. Which means that we need people from other denominations, we need people from other languages, we need people from all around the world, from all different sorts of faith in Jesus, to make up a picture of who the true church is. The church is the sum of all of its parts, and that's what it means to be Catholic. The last phrase that we use to describe the church is it's apostolic. Apostolic. That means that it is faithful to the teachings of the apostles, but that also means that it is sent out with the same mission as the apostles. So we have the church, the, the one holy Catholic 
an apostolic church. And we're here this morning, and I sort of am paid to tell you that the church is a big deal. Right? This is, this is one of those sermons where I kind of feel a little self-conscious because I'm talking about the thing that I, that I do for a living, right? And yet, it is incredibly important, but most of us Christians, especially here in America, look at the church as a bonus. I get Jesus... And the church is a bonus that's thrown in, right? It's sort of one of those things like when you go to the car dealer and you're looking at the car and you're going, I don't know about this. And the car dealer says, oh, well, I'll put, I'll put the special Apple speaker system in. Oh, well, now I'll buy your car, right? It's, I was going to buy your car anyway, but now that you've thrown in those rims, now that you've fill in the blank with what you've got in this car, it's a bonus. It's an add-on. And the reason why we think this way is to think that the church is integral to our life, cuts against our cultural understanding of communities. You see, we as a culture believe in self-selected communities. We hang out with people who like to do the same things as us and believe the same things as us. We choose who we want to hang out with And they end up, maybe they have different racial profiles, maybe they have different backgrounds, but eventually we find a group of people who have the same set of affinities as us, and that's where we hang out. Uh, Starbucks uh, has grown a ton in the past 20 years by capitalizing on this fact. When you go through Starbucks training, whether you are a barista or a manager, one of the things that they drill into you is this idea that we want Starbucks to be your third place. What do they mean by that? You go home, you have your home. You go to work, you have work. Where's the next place that you want to go on a regular basis? That's your third place. And Starbucks, Starbucks capitalized. Why is it that Starbucks puts your name on their cup? It's not, it's not so it makes it easier for you to pick up your, your cup at the end of it. No, no, no. You are trained at Starbucks that they want Starbucks to be cheers. And what's significant about cheers, for those of you who are old enough to remember it, you want to go to a place where... Everybody knows your name. Starbucks, in their training material, references cheers. The reason they put your name on the cup is so that they will learn your name, so that the next time you walk in, they say, Hey, Alex, I'll get that venti mocha for you that you always get, huh? And you, oh, they they know me here, they take care of me. Now, when I started to mention this idea of third place, some of you started looking at the person next to you and going, I know what my third place is. Most of us have one. Whether it's a gym, whether it's grassroots or green bench, whether it's Starbucks, Cheers, or some other place, we have learned to self-create community around an affinity, around something that we agree on, like, or enjoy altogether. But here's the catch. 
what happens when you break the spoken or unspoken rules of your community? What happens when you're not progressing at the gym? What happens when you don't share the same opinions as everybody who hangs out in your coffee shop or your craft brewery, your third place? What happens when you violate those sort of unspoken codes, those virtues that those places hold up? You see, because we believe in a culture of self-selected communities, we also create a culture of rules. And like in Mean Girls, the movie, when somebody violates those virtues or rules, we look up from our community and say, you can't sit with us. It's been interesting to watch. Some of you have been paying attention to the, the mayor race here in St. Petersburg. It's been pretty contentious, and it's still three months away from the primaries. It's been even more fascinating to go to the two sort of west side of downtown coffee shops, Intermezzo and Bandit, and find them quite divided and sort of angry at one another for their support of one candidate or the other. These are two coffee shops that serve virtually the same product, that have almost the exact same decor, and yet here they are looking at one another, going, because you're voting this way, you can't sit with us. So many times in our lives, what happens is we're a part of a community, a part of an affinity group, and we can't find our way back in once we break that. And if that's the case, what we have is not real community. It is skin deep. This morning, what I want to talk about, what I want to tell you is this. We think of the church as an afterthought. We think that when God saves us and forgives us and makes us a new person, we get to go to heaven and the church is thrown in as a bonus, as something you get at the end of the negotiation. When in reality what the case is, is that when Jesus makes you new, he places you into the church. It's not an add-on, it's the main thing. So that eternity is not us going to heaven to be with Jesus, is the church being brought together to be Jesus' bride with him. And we oftentimes treat the church like it's just something else. So I want to read a passage about the church. It's going to be Ephesians 2. Uh, we're going to read from verse 13 all the way down to the rest of the chapter. I want to just point out a few things about what Paul says about the church. So if you would, stand. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians 2. If you don't, it will be on the screen. Or it's also in our church app. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus this. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abandoning, abolishing, I'm sorry, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off, and preached peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be seated. See, we think that the church is an add-on to our lives, when in reality, because of the cross of Jesus, those of us who are trusting in Him to save us from our sins, to give us forgiveness, to make us whole, have been specifically called to be a part of His body, of the body of Jesus. As you read this, there's a lot of imagery going on in this passage, and it's worthwhile to take a second to to explain what's going on. In the church in Ephesus, it was a new church plant. And in this church, there were kind of two groups of people. One of those groups of people were, were people who were Jews, who trusted that Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament had promised for so long. And they had a certain way of doing things. They still kept kosher. They still sort of observed the law of the Old Testament. And then on the other hand, you had Gentiles. Gentiles who had never kept kosher. Gentiles who liked bacon. Who were okay with cheeseburgers. Who didn't cut the sides of their hair. And then all of a sudden, people from both of these groups in a city called Ephesus become a part of a church together. Things did not go well. People were constantly going, on one side, going, well, you guys are eating bacon cheeseburgers, and there's about 17 things wrong with that, so you can't possibly be Christians. And the other people were standing on the other side going, I don't know anything about the bacon cheeseburger thing, but you guys are over there being very righteous about this stuff that you're doing. You can't possibly be Christians. And they were sitting apart from one another, At times, literally, in fact, uh, we find out in Galatians that another church, they would literally, at communion, have two different places, of two different tables for communion. One for the Jewish Christians, one for the Gentile Christians. And Paul comes in and says, guys, stop. Stop it. And he uses this language to describe the church. And the first sort of image, the first sort of picture that he gives is that in Jesus, the the wall has been torn down. And we read that and we kind of go, neat. But what he's referencing is something that everybody would have known. Everybody in the ancient Near East would have known about the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple in Jerusalem, it's sort of like the Statue of Liberty or the pyramids, right? It's one of those landmarks that even if you've never been there, you sort of know a little bit about it. 
the temple in Jerusalem would have been the same way. And one of the big features was there was a giant wall, very literally a giant wall. And if you were not a Jew, you could not go past that wall. And so all of the Gentiles had to stand on one side, and all of the Jews could stand on the other. And he says to them, in Jesus, because of the cross, that wall has been torn down. There is no longer Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. That distinction has been ripped apart. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are being made into one body. Now, we're here in St. Petersburg. We have a very small Jewish community. And we might be tempted to look at this passage and go, well, we have very few ex-Jews in our church, so we're good with this, Paul, moving right along. And yet, what Paul does here, as he does in so many other places, is exposes two different ways that we try to win God's affection or spurn it. You see, one of the problems that the people, that the Jewish Christians in Ephesus had, is they thought that they could earn God's blessing and earn God's favor. If I keep kosher, if I follow these set of laws, if I do the right thing, then God will bless me. Which is exactly what you and I do sometimes. I'm, I'm at church every week. Look at me. I, I don't walk into church late, unlike other people. Look, look at me. I, ha, I, have, I have time righteousness. I'm better than the people that walk in late. You laugh, but there are some of you who have quietly, low-key thought, can't you get to church on time? That's... That's self-righteousness. That's thinking that God's going to bless you more because you're performing. Well, you know what? I, I give to the church. And I know the church needs my giving. And I know there's a lot of people who don't. Poo-poo on them. Look at me. I. God's certainly going to bless me because of this. You see, any time we look at our actions, especially our actions as they relate to the church, and say, well, now God's certainly going to bless me because I fill in the blank with your thing. Or because I'm not like those people who fill in the blank with their thing. We're exercising church righteousness. And we're trying to build the wall up Again. See, but there's another side of this as well. There's a side of us, some of us, who sort of go, well, I, I do so much. I mean, this is, this is my problem, right? I mean, let's be honest. Is there anybody here more faithful to church than me? At least in my mind? God's certainly going to bless me. It's easy for me to be infected by this self-righteousness. Saying, I don't need Jesus, actually. Because I'm working really hard for Jesus. And I've got this under control. But the opposite of this is true as well. While on the one hand, some of us 
are self-righteous about the way that we treat church. Others of us, even who are Christians, continue to see the church as an add-on. Continue to go, yeah, it's, it's kind of no big deal. I'll go when I feel like it. You know, if I, if, I don't go, if I go out on Saturday night and I don't go to church, eh, it happens, right? You know, I signed my kid up for that travel team and we're going to be gone for three months. Well, you know, baseball is important for kids. And we sort of start going, here's all the other things that are important. It's interesting, one of the early church fathers said something, I, I think that's pretty profound. He said, no man can claim to have God as his father and not the church as his mother. There's a guy named Cyprian. No man can claim to have God as his father and not have the church as his mother. You see, if we truly are a Christian, we have been placed by God into a church. A place for us to be faithful. A place to us for us to work on becoming one body together. See, one of the things we talk about here at City Church is you are not thrown into any situation. You are not anywhere by accident, including here. You are sent as a Christian. You are sent to your workplace. The, the picture that he gives in this passage is that, that the church as a whole and every church individually is being built up with hand-chosen stones. It's the work of an artist. Uh, some of you guys have seen the way that they make the murals here in St. Pete. Those, those enormous paintings, right? They, they grid out those entire walls and they'll just paint this much at a time. And as they do that, they're, they're hand-selecting their colors. They're being, uh, oh, I need to do more of this, I need to do more of that. When God looks at the church, when God looks at city church, you and your gifts are here on purpose because they are needed. There are so many things that I cannot do for this church, which is why God sent There are so many things that you can't do for City Church, which is God, why God sent the person sitting next to you. We are being built up by God into one body. He is carefully moving us together so that there are no second-class citizens in the church. There's not the real church people and then everybody else. Let me put this another way. You don't get brownie points for being a core group member of City Church. God loves you no more or no less. And yet the question comes, are you being faithful to being a part of where God has called you? And the last thing is, as you read through the passage, you see that we're being built up into a holy dwelling place for the Spirit. And the, the picture that is written there is of this, this building that just keeps growing. Because the church is meant to grow. The church is meant to grow. One of the, the songs that we sang this morning 
was the church's one foundation. And it's, it's one of my favorite hymns. And one of the things it talks about is that the church is triumphant. Now that doesn't mean that every church will always be growing. That doesn't mean that every church will always succeed. But the church will be triumphant through Jesus in the end. The church exists to show the beauty of Jesus. And for us, the church people, to share the beauty of Jesus. Which begs a question. Have you seen and experienced the goodness of Jesus? His beauty. You see, what's interesting is, are the degree to which we are willing to share the beauty and goodness of Jesus is the degree to which we believe it's true. So if you think, I've got a lot of church righteousness, I'm doing a lot of things right in my life, I just need Jesus a little bit to help me with these couple things that I've got going on over here, you're going to love Jesus a little bit. But if you believe that you really are broken in every sense of the word, that your life is out of your own control in so many ways, that you are messed up in the way that you treat people, both people you don't know and people who you care about, that you have deep problems. And that because of what Jesus has done, because He has made you a part of His body, He has made you a part of His bride, His church through His blood. When you begin to see that we are who are part of the church, are sinners made holy. When that grips your heart, the deeper and deeper you believe that, the more and more you will want to share it. The greater your experience of God's grace is, the more willing you, are be, the more willing you will be to be graceful to others. So here's the church. It's not an add-on to our life, but it is what God is calling us to. So what? So what do we do with that? How do we, how do we go from here? Where do we move from here? Well, one of the things, if we take seriously who the church is, if we take seriously that is one holy Catholic and apostolic church, it's a call for us to end the sort of individualism. It's a call for us to sort of end the self-selecting of people who are just like us. It's a call for us to end the cycle of church shopping. And we do that in a number of ways. One, we do that by staying in the church even when it gets tough. That's hard. Because I promise you, city church will make some decisions that you're not going to like. City Church will do some things that are going to frustrate you. If we haven't already, just wait. Give it time. There are going to be people at City Church who you are going to struggle to have a relationship with. Who you are going to look across the room and go, Her? Really? Him? Part of what we're called to do is stay when it gets tough. Another part of what we're called to do in the church is to intentionally build relationships with one another. Intentionally 
find people who have different affinity things to you, who hang out in a different third place than you, and build relationships with them. This is why we do game night every week, every month. Game night is not like a, oh, that's a thing we do. No, no, no. Game night is something we believe that is mission critical to the church. Why? It's because it's a place where people from different walks of life, of different ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, of different races, of different places, get together, get to know one another, and enjoy one another's company, and build a relationship with one another. Because that's what we need to be doing in the church. And the last thing that you can do to sort of step, stop this individualism, stop this ignoring of the church, stop this church hopping and shopping epidemic, is to commit. It's to commit to City Church with your time. Uh, let me be honest, the past few weeks I've been having to make calls on Saturday night. Uh, can, you, uh, can you help me with this this week? Because honestly, our volunteer pool is not great. And it's summertime and we're busy and I understand that. But commit to City Church with your time. Commit with your treasure. We don't talk about money that often. But we as a church need to, by the end of this year, be 50% self-supporting. We've got a good bit to go with that. And then committing to City Church with your talents. Where has God sent you? Where is it that you are uniquely placed? What relationships have you been given that are unique to you? That God is saying that you should share the good news of Jesus with.